Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of History Spelunkers, the show where we take a dive into some niche and obscure topics from history and tell you all about what we find. I, of course, am your host, Kelvin, use he, him pronouns, and joining me today is my wonderful, fantastic, and curious co-host. Say hi. Hi, I'm Jamie, she, her pronouns. Welcome back, and it is episode 25, just in time for the most wonderful time of the year, as they say. How are you enjoying the holidays, Jamie? I'm enjoying it a lot. Yeah? And I'm I'm glad it's getting cold. I know not Jamie. everyone's happy. It's stupid cold outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not happy for the really stupid cold day this week. I'm not happy for Thursday. But I am glad it's still going to be kind of chilly on Christmas. But no snow, I don't I think. Know, I know. That's, no uh, white Christmas for us. Oh, well, that's what we get for global warming. But <laughs> anyways, uh, today we are going to be keeping in the spirit of the season a bit. Because I was like, okay, Christmas time. We have to do some sort of Christmas episode. Obviously. But I had another episode in mind that I wanted to do and I've been wanting to do for a while. So <laughs> I was like, how can I mesh the two together? And I found a way. We'll see if it works. Okay. But okay. Uh, it might not make sense, but it, it makes sense. Just it, trust the process. You know what? We're just going to roll with it. So with that said, <laughs> let's dive down the rabbit hole. Okay, so we'll do the Christmas part first. Okay. We're going to be talking and beginning this episode, talk about the big man himself, St. Nicholas, Kris Kringle, a.k.a. Santa Claus. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming you know who Santa is. I never heard of him, ever. Oh, well, then never this, in my life. Ooh, this is going to be a hard story then. <laughs> so you got a guy who <laughs> travels around the world, and crawls down your chimney. He watches mm -hmm. you 24-7, by the way, in order to give you presents. Okay. Sounds legit. Mm -hmm. Basically, what we're going to do is go over his superhero origin story, basically. Okay. <laughs> uh, talk about the actual dude and morph into why we see him as the guy in the red suit. Like how that image became the image okay. in our mind here in the United States, while in okay. other parts of the world, they don't have Santa Claus. I know, and our Santa Claus is usually a lot bigger than other Santa Clauses, right? 
I mean, yeah, he's <laughs> global. Everyone knows who Santa Claus is, but like, you probably don't know about the witch that gives presents to kids over in Italy. So no, exactly, I do not know about that. Um. So yeah. Uh. So we'll start off talking about Santa and how we get this image, which will then morph into the not Christmas topic. Okay. But it will it'll work out. Okay. Um I trust you. Okay. So uh first off, we will begin with Saint Nicholas. Uh Nicholas was a guy who lived in Greece during the six hundreds AD. So Santa Claus Thanks. is a real person. It's a long time ago. Yeah, a very long time ago. Uh in fact long ago that we're pretty sure he existed. Like as a real person, not yeah. just like a myth. Yeah, as like a flesh and bones dude. He made okay. he was uh by all accounts like a super devout Christian monk. Hmm. Um who like you know, this was Roman Empire, Christian church days. So uh but he was around in a period whenever they were super persecuted, but then immediately afterwards, whenever there is like the big Nicene councils and all that stuff where they're really writing down the rules of what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. He was around that time, attended those, maybe slapped a guy at some event in the church whenever they're writing up the rules and stuff. It's whatever. That's, that's, he's a real dude, maybe. Um, But uh, he was this Christian monk who uh, did a lot of preaching and outreach in the community I mean, enough for him to be a saint eventually. So how does this guy become associated with gift giving is the big question. Well, the story goes is that in going about being a monk, he came across this impoverished family of a father and three daughters. And the father was too poor to afford dowries to marry off his daughters. Okay. So, uh, and it was a dire enough situation that he was going to be forced to turn his daughters into prostitutes in order to make ends meet. Ooh. Well, (laughs) Nicholas was like, this is not a good situation. I have money. I'm going to help him out. Wait, so he was a monk, but he had money? He was like from a wealthy family and he gave it up to join the church and whatever, but he still had had access. access. Okay, okay. Um, so he was like, I got this money, I'll help him out. Well, he didn't want to give the father the embarrassment of having to accept charity. Obviously. So instead what he does is he sneaks to their house in the middle of the night and throws a bag of money through their window. Kind of creepy, but you know, the thought, the thought is good. good. (laughs) And so father wakes up next morning, he finds a bag of money. He's like, I can marry away one of my daughters. So he Uh, does that. Okay. So then he goes back like a week or so later, Nicholas, and there was another bag of money in. And it's like, oh, I got, I got more money. And so he waits around now. Now he's married off two daughters. He's like, I got to find out who's doing this. Mm-hmm. So Nicholas can't give him the third bag of money because the guy will wait up at night waiting for someone to throw a bag of money in. Eventually, he does get caught. And that's, I mean, that's how we know the story happened. And mm-hmm. But... um Apparently, Nicholas was like, don't tell anybody it was me. So Ever it, so humble. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't work, but, hmm. you know. 
that's that's the story of how okay. he becomes associated with like gift giving. And, and I guess also gift giving at night in secret. Right, right. You, you see the elements starting yes, to appear. Yes. Well, like I said, eventually he does become Saint Nick mm-hmm. and the Catholic Church designates designates December 6th as his like feast day. Okay. And through the course of time and the centuries it became a tradition to give gifts to children on the day as like an emulation of this mm-hmm. throwing money to keep people from becoming prostitutes. So, um and in a lot of countries over in like Europe, it December 6th is still the day that the gift giving happens. Mm-hmm. But, you know, over time for a variety of reasons, Saint Nick like merges with local folk customs to no longer become like a Christian saint who's a monk walking around. Mm -hmm. It's someone else who then goes out and becomes associated with giving away these presents. And so like, for example, whenever the Protestant Reformation comes around, saints aren't necessarily viewed upon in the same light by Protestant countries. Mm -hmm. So like in places like Germany, they ditch Saint Nick altogether and the Christ child or the Christkind is the one that goes around and gives presents to kids, the little baby Jesus. But Okay. Um so and then it merges and other things. So but we're trying to find out how we get to Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And so the two most important branches of how we get to Santa Claus in the US is the Netherlands and England. Okay. The Netherlands is pretty simple mm-hmm. as far as how you can see the connection. Uh, the Dutch have Sinterklaas. Okay. Which you can see how Santa there's Claus, a connection. Sinterklaas. And so Sinterklaas, he is a priest, basically. He's an old priest, has the same like Pope hat and whatnot. Um, dresses in bright red garments and has all the priestly garments. And he rides around on a horse, gives presents to the kids. Um, pretty similar to what we got. Yeah, pretty similar, except for the fact that uh, instead of elves helping him, he has a Moorish servant named Zvart Pete or Black Pete. Okay. He's he's basically Sinterklaas's slave. Oh. <laughs> he, he, he literally has an African slave. Um, oh, But if that's not bad enough, um, in the Netherlands, to this day, when they do parades and Sinterklaas rides in them, they have people going around in blackface dressed up as smart feet. So big yikes. This is a big, (laughs) hot subject of debate over in the Netherlands currently. So if we have any listeners over there, feel free to weigh in. Um, It's a debate. They're kind... There's some people that are, like, trying to adapt it to where, oh, he's not an African slave. He's just covered in soot from going down the chimneys. Okay. But then you also have the boomers over there that are like, no, we want smart feet, and we will do blackface. Mm. And it's, yeah. I see, I see. But, yeah. Um, hey, at least we don't got that over we here. We don't got that, so... <laughs> 
that, that's the Netherlands. So that's how we get like. That's their problem, not ours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Sinterklaas, okay. who is one aspect of how we get to what we have here in the United okay. States. The other aspect, which is a little bit more complicated and more uh, substance, I guess, more mm -hmm. than just like a name, is uh, Father Christmas over in England. I'm assuming you've read or seen Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Multiple variations yes. of it. Yes. Um, many, many times. Basically, the ghost of Christmas present is Father Christmas. Okay. Um, even though they're not called that, that's basically what it is. Okay. So, Father Christmas, he comes about in England during the Middle Ages during these Christmas celebrations that maintained elements of the pre-Christianization celebrations of mm -hmm. midwinter and Yule time and these pagan rituals that happened around the winter solstice. The Catholic Church took these, repackaged them as Christmas, and some of those elements maintained tradition-wise in England and Nordic countries. Well, during the 1500s, this figure of Father Christmas, this kind of old man in a fur coat wearing a, a crown of holly, mm -hmm. uh, became associated with the celebrations and the feasting and... Um, all the revelry going around during these celebrations. And um, a lot of people think that that kind of is maybe merging from like, um, like the Norse god Odin or something, something very similar aesthetic wise. Mm -hmm. But anyways, they now have a father Christmas figure and they have celebrations, feasting and stuff. Well, then we get down to our good friend, the Protestant Reformation, and the Puritans, if you remember from the Thanksgiving episode, they did not like Christmas <laughs> because they perceived it as being too Catholic. Okay. Because the Catholics invented Christmas, and they invented, it's not in the Bible, and I mean, they had the same complaints that, like, uh, modern-day groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and... Okay stuff have with the holiday and its lack of biblical basis. And so, yeah, the Puritans did not like Christmas. They ended up banning Christmas for about 15 years in the 1640s Dang. over in England. Dang. Um, like banning it in the entirety of England or? Like it was, they shut down, they sent troops out into the streets to disparage people from going out to parties. Whoa. Um, okay, so shut it down, shut it down. They did not allow specific, like, church significance. Like, mm -hmm. they didn't have, like, a Christmas mass or anything. Those weren't allowed. Um, and even over here in the United States, or what would be the United States, Massachusetts, the Puritans in charge there banned Christmas for a period of years to the same extent of just not allowing the public celebration mm. elements of it. Because 
people get drunk and go around partying, and that's just not a good time for anybody if you're a stodgy old Puritan. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's just how it is. They, they are a bunch of Ebenezer Scrooges. Oh, God. Um, so, but when the monarchy was restored, eventually... Christmas celebrations came back and were even sort of utilized as like a propaganda tool to be like, see, the monarchs are good because they brought back Christmas. Oh my God. So there you go. <laughs> that sounds like some Disney movie or something. <laughs> oh my God, look at this person. They're amazing because they brought back Christmas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, but... I mean, enough damage had been done, really, to where, like, the celebrations weren't as big as they had used to be, and they weren't as raucous, and, yeah, it just wasn't as big of a deal, and the celebration and the traditions kind of fell off a little bit. But in the Victorian era, they kind of became boosted again, so this Mm -hmm. is 1800s. Namely, through works of people like Charles Dickens writing The Christmas Carol and other, like, popular magazines and poems and stuff of, like, mass media for the time. And uh, this, they revamped and revitalized the figure of Father Christmas as this jolly old man in a green fur coat, crown of holly, and he's all about adult feasting and merriment. He's not associated with kids at all, really. Okay. Um, he's just about adults getting totally shit faced on Christmas, having a good time. Hell yeah! Even not just <laughs> even beyond the drinking, just as just just having a good time. Goodwill towards men, that sort of thing. Mm. And so that those two figures, Sinterklaas and Father Christmas merging together over here in the United States is how we get our Santa Claus figure. Okay. They merged together in New York, because there was a large Dutch presence in New Amsterdam and all that. And so around the American Revolution, some people in New York began revitalizing Sinterklaas traditions to like say we're not British, you know, emphasizing that aspect of it, but then also merging these things together to where boom, we get a Santa Claus figure. But he, it's not like a real hard fast, there aren't a whole lot of rules associated with him until around the 1800s, also. Whenever you have the famous poem by Thomas Nast, The Night Before Christmas, mm-hmm. um, that's by and large, that's if it could all be traced back to one thing, it's that poem, which it's not even called Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's a visit from St. Nicholas is the actual name, but hmm. no one cares. It's the night before Christmas. And then there are also some popular magazines at the time, like... Goodies Lady Book. No, Goodies Ladies Book. Sorry, okay. there's an apostrophe S in there. Um, which was written by a man, but it's beside the point. Um, it was like one of the most popular magazines in the country at the time. And it is 
it helped popularize some of the early Christmas traditions. So like Christmas trees, there was a big famous issue of that where it was all lit up and that became popular. And things like Santa Claus riding in a sleigh with reindeer and some parts of his physical physique as far as him being fat and whatnot, that kind of uh, came all together. And even like having elves assist him in his toy shop. Mm-hmm. It, stuff like that all came together from these mass media publications at the time. One of my favorite stories from this early era of Santa was the 1897 article that was written in the Sun newspaper by Francis Farcellus Church, which was a response to a letter written by the eight-year-old Virginia O'Hanlon asking whether or not Santa existed. That's so cute. The response that was written was was less than 500 words and would go on to be one of the most reprinted articles in U.S. history, this article being, Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Wow. And, yeah, newspapers, basically every year now at Christmas, you'll find newspapers that have it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I even think they made, like, a animated movie about it or something. I don't know. I don't know. They make so many, like, animated Christmas movies. I think you're right, though. Yeah, uh, it, it came out like within or it the was, past. Or it was like the, it was like a Hallmark special. Or there, something. There's like a Hallmark special animated movie that came out like past five or so years. Um, I don't know. We're old. Yeah, I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, anyways, uh, but so yeah, the mid 1800s is whenever we're figuring out our Santa Claus. Well, surprisingly, the English were figuring out Father Christmas about Mm. the same time. Interesting. So even though we can trace Santa from Father Christmas, the modern renditions of them, they kind of begin feasting off of themselves as Mm -hmm. far as um, the aesthetics of like fur coats and Mm -hmm. things and old men with beards and whatnot. And so, like, at this time, you see the English beginning to pick up aspects of, like, the gift-giving, and he ditches the crown of holly for wearing a hood attached to his cloak, similar to, like, Santa's hat, Mm -hmm. and vice versa, we steal a couple of other aspects. And so, yeah, 1850s and 60s, poems, songs illustrations really coalesced into the fat man with a white beard and a red coat and all of that stuff. But, you know, this is before we get the real mass media of the 20th century Mm -hmm. that can really just take over and really cement an image, a brand, if you would. Um, This is where we begin to merge and... Real hard segue. Well, not hard segue, but we're going to force this other topic here. Okay. (laughs) And that is Coca-Cola advertisements Uh, in the 1920s and 30s, beginning then and continuing mm -hmm. Continuing to the present day. uh, Coke is using Santa Claus in their advertisements. 
and Coke being one of the, if not the most recognizable brand name in the yep. world, they have a lot of input in getting the image of Santa Claus in his red cloak that matches the Coke can very well. How convenient. Yeah, how convenient. And it's a match made in heaven, super successful. And they weren't the first, like, soft drink mm -hmm. brand even to use Santa Claus in their advertisements. But they are by far the most successful, I yeah. would argue. Well, I mean... They're really the only ones that continue to do it today in, like, a big way. I mean, everyone's got, like, Christmas right, right. commercials that they do, like, holiday commercials. Mm -hmm. But Coke is, like, the only one that, like, you know. Like, I mean, they got, like, the, the polar bears. Yeah, they got the polar bears, too. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I, 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 everyone knows, like... Whenever I say a Coca-Cola Christmas advert with Santa Claus, you know what yeah, I'm talking about. Exactly. Um, and a large part of that is because they had the same guy do... So, when these adverts, a lot of them began as, like, actual oil paintings. Oh, wow. That then get copied and mass-produced. Yeah. But the oil paintings... From 1931 to 1964, were all painted by the same guy. Mm -hmm. His name was Haddon, Sun Haddon Sundbloom. Hopefully that's right. Um, but yeah, he made these oil paintings that Coke would then use for their magazines and their posters. And he, like, he started off basing them on a couple other people as, like, models. And then he got to the point where he used himself as a model by hmm. painting in a mirror. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like people, especially in the early times, people obsessed over these images. And cause I mean, they're very good, Yeah. but also like they became iconic and whatever. But like, uh, there's stories about people being, and he changed them from year to year, right. With the different adverts. And so there'd be letters written in from year to year where people would comment on changes made to Santa Claus. <laughs> so, like, one year, his belt buckle was on backwards because he was painting himself in a mirror, uh -huh. so it got reversed, and people <laughs> noticed that. And another time, he wasn't wearing a wedding ring, and so, what happened to Mrs. Claus, Oh, my God, huh? did they get a divorce? And so, yeah, it, you know, people are just writing in these s silly letters, but, yeah, it, these oil paintings big deal and they persist because coca-cola a big part of their advertising ethos is nostalgia they uh -huh. harness this nostalgia and they used it for so long that now they can just re-harken back to their own stuff mm -hmm. in this loop and boom now santa claus they have to keep using it because it's now nostalgic because people saw it back whenever they were kids and it persists mm -hmm. And this does a lot of the heavy lifting as far as globalizing the American Santa Claus to other parts of the world to where now in like England, Father Christmas, he looks like Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And there's probably some kids over there that 
don't call them Father Christmas anymore. Yeah. You know, or like in Japan, it's a big thing to go eat at KFC on Christmas because <laughs> he looks like Santa Claus. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so yeah, it you could say it was a successful ad campaign. Uh-huh. It's one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So that's the Christmas aspect of it. Now we transition to the stories I've been wanting to do, okay. <laughs> which are about some of the more interesting slash famous Coca-Cola promotions and ad campaigns. Okay, okay. Don't, don't worry. It works. It works. <laughs> okay. It works. We transitioned. It's fine. It makes sense. <laughs> okay. Um, but <laughs> I've been wanting to do this because they're so weird and goofy almost uh, because... The two we're going to talk about, if Santa was, you know, this massive success, these other two are some of the worst failures in the history of advertising. Really? Um, yeah, the first especially, the that being the introduction of New Coke oh God, in I've 1985. Oh, God, I've heard about this. <laughs> it, it's like studied in marketing schools and stuff because of just how bad it went. My parents have talked about this mm-hmm. before. Yeah, mine did too. Uh, My we'll, mom especially. We'll have to compare notes from what our parents said. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so this is the story okay. for those who aren't familiar. It's the 1980s. Everything's going off. Everything's going good. Coca-Cola has been doing some research and focus groups and stuff, and uh, they're discovering some concerning things that Pepsi, their arch rival, their share of the market relative to Coca-Cola is growing. It's not good. And these focus groups are also telling them that people are liking sweeter flavored beverages than what Mm. Coca-Cola is. And that you know, it's just not their favorite flavor anymore. Well, Coca-Cola can't have this, right? So what do they do? They introduce a bunch of new products to try and, you know, diversify their shares of the market. So that's whenever we get Diet Coke and Cherry Coke, they enter the market. But it's not enough to stem the tide. And so you also have the 100-year anniversary of Coca-Cola Company coming up up. the hundredth year anniversary of the coca-cola company coming up goodness uh so they want to do something big obviously Mm -hmm. so what the big wigs up in coca-cola come up with is that they want to change the coca-cola recipe they they're going to completely reinvent themselves for the hundred year anniversary well, always a good idea. Right, right. Always. Um, so this runs into some issues with their bottling partners. Quick tangent, weird thing about the soda industry in general. Coke doesn't own the bottling company. They only own the syrup manufacturer. So they like make the syrup and the I guess just the syrup, and then they send the syrup to someone else, and they mix it with the carbonated water and put it in the bottles? Yes. There is the Coca-Cola company, and then there's the Coca-Cola bottling company, and they are not the same thing. The reason... Why? So this apparently is like common practice in the industry, because back in the day, whenever these things were first getting started, 
Coke and Pepsi and all these people thought that the big money was going to be at like soda fountains, like old timey soda fountains mm. where they go in and get a Coke float or something yeah. and they mix it right there in front of you. Okay. So because they thought that was going to be the big thing, they sold off their bottling rights to other companies. I mean, I guess if you think that you're not really going to be needing it. And but now, of course, people don't go to soda no. jerkers anymore. They no. they buy that's a like bottle. A, that's like a novelty thing now. Like, right. oh my god, we went to an actual soda shop. Can you believe it? Exactly. So, anyways, weird thing, but hmm. the bottlers were not happy because they're introducing all these new products so quickly that their facilities are getting strained Mm -hmm. as far as production. And so they basically, the bottling companies give Coca-Cola the ultimatum. You will either completely swap over all the old Coke recipe to the new Coke, or you don't do new Coke. Okay. And so they swap over completely to new Coke. (laughs) This is the point where I've heard my parents talk about it. April 1985, <laughs> new Coke is released to the world. And for the most part, people actually like the flavor. There's a boost in sales and things seem to go fine. So why was it not successful at all why do both our parents have such fond memories i say that word very sarcastically (laughs) of this time it's because one group of people did not like this new flavor and that is the southern united states (laughs) why does that matter coca-cola is headquartered in atlanta georgia so Basically, what happens is the South decides they don't like it, and they begin bitching. They say just how terrible it is. And, As the South does. And we we'll just go back to the old way, god <laughs> darn it. And that is all the people, all the HQ in Atlanta, they hear, because that's where they live. They go out on the streets, and they hear people bitching about it. That's all they hear. But not only that, it becomes popular to be cool it becomes the cool thing not to like new coke in the Mm. pop culture because you got high profile celebrities like johnny carson and david letterman going on their talk shows and making jokes about it you have like even fidel castro is like i like the old coke bang Um, you have rivals like pepsi doing ad campaigns of people trying the new coke and basically saying, oh, this tastes like Pepsi. I understand why they changed the flavor. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the way that Pepsi and Coke bash each other in their commercials. It's so good. It's so good. Um, but, yeah, like kids wanting to be cool, like wanting to have this, oh, I, I, I have opinions on the world and things. Like, I like old Coke better, actually. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it. PR nightmare because it is cool to hate you. Mm -hmm. And so it goes on 79 days. After that 79 days, the company announces Coca-Cola that they will be 
reintroducing the old formula. Man, they did not last very long. And, uh, Holy moly, I didn't realize it was that fast. Yeah, it was 79 days. I thought it was like at least half a year before they were like, fine, shut up, we'll change it. No, it's like... It was... Holy smokes. Yeah, and... Um, but what they said was they would they would continue new coke okay but they would be bringing back old coke but it would be rebranded as coca-cola classic is old coke okay and new coke would just be called coke okay and this is the way things work until 1992 whenever they changed coke new coke which became coke is now coke 2 okay and, it's a little confusing. But. And that is how things were. And eventually, Coke 2, its share of the market declined and declined. It stopped being sold in as many places. And eventually, in 2002, New Coke, in whatever name you call it, was no longer available on the market. Hmm. And so, like you were saying, our parents, so my dad, he was telling me he, he tasted it because he was about our age whenever this mm-hmm. happened. And uh, he hated it. All his friends hated it. He really hated how it, like, mixed drinks. It, like, whiskey and Coke just totally ruined that. And so, so yeah. I, see, that's what my dad said about it, too. Mm-hmm. Because, let's see, how old was my dad when this happened? In his 20s? Yeah. He had to have been, like, 27 28 yeah when they introduced new coke and he told me the same thing that he just didn't really like the taste and if you ever had like a drink with coke in it it didn't taste like it was supposed to Mm -hmm. and then every time my mom talks about it she's like it was just so gross it just wasn't (laughs) even coke you could totally tell the difference it just wasn't even coke because you know my mom's not a drinker right Never really has been. So she didn't really talk about mixed drinks, but she was like, it didn't even taste the same. I don't know why they even bother. <laughs> My mom gets worked up yeah. about new Coke. Uh, well, then uh, our, our parents' worst nightmares recurred because uh, they brought back new coke in 2019 see that's when it got brought up in my household when they Mm. brought it back and both of my parents were like why on earth would they do that it was so gross it wasn't even good the first time why would they bring it back a second time and i was like new coke what what the hell is that right right well they brought it back for a limited time as part of a promotion for the new season of the netflix show stranger things okay because the season took place in 1985. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. It was going. It wasn't like a plot point or anything, but like they had new Coke mm-hmm. and they would drink it on the show, and so they brought it back. It was mostly just sold online in like LA and stuff. Yeah. And well, the people that tasted it, uh, it tastes more normal nowadays. Apparently, like people that tried it back in the day and that first tried it now, and the new young drinkers that had it. Um, mm-hmm. I get, it tastes similar to other stuff on the market, apparently, hmm. now. I mean, and we so do it's have, like, a million like, sodas. Yeah, and so it's not, like, as dramatic to the taste buds okay. as it would have been back in the day. <laughs> and it's not as off-putting to the modern audience. But, uh, but yeah, it was only for a limited time. You cannot buy new Coke anymore. Uh, however, there is more to this story. You see, some people 
believe that such a powerhouse of a company could not have simply fallen flat on its face like this. Oh, they could never make a mistake. No. Never. They would never. See, my dad believes that uh, it was all intentional, that they intentionally embraced this bad publicity and harnessed like, the, it being uh. cool, so that whenever they did, event, they always planned to bring back old Coke, so that whenever they did, then people would go and buy a whole lot of the old Coke and boost mm. sale. Like, that was the original plan, is his theory. You know, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I um, can see that. They need more, like, attention so that Pepsi doesn't take over. So, like, let's just make something, quote-unquote, new um, that we think they're not going to like so we can get lots of attention and then bring back the other one and then everyone's so happy. They're so ready to have it. They're so ready to taste right. it. I can see that. So that, that's my dad's that. theory. Um, there's other theories, though. Uh, for example, the theory that... They never returned the old Coke flavor. That, they just said that they did? Yeah, that that's a theory, is that they just changed the recipe a third time. <laughs> and everyone had already forgotten what it tasted 70 days ago, and it just tasted similar enough <laughs> that it, it just it wasn't the same. It just never was the same again. Uh, I could also see that happening. But see, that one does have some truth to it, because... Uh, this whole new Coke fiasco happened at the same time that they were transitioning away from using raw sugar as a sweetener oh. to high fructose corn syrup. And so some bottlers across the country had already made the swap before, uh-huh. but some still used sugar. And so after they did the whole new Coke and we're bringing back the old Coke, they use that to swap everybody over to high fructose corn syrup. So there is understandably some markets where it would have tasted different whenever they brought Coca-Cola classic. So it could, it could be a combination of both conspiracy theories. They knew they were about to make this big transition and people would taste the difference. So they changed the recipe in a really big way uh-huh. to kind of jar people and make the just little minor flavor of high fructose corn syrup less noticeable. Yes. Maybe it was both. Maybe. But uh, this cons- this shell of a conspiracy theory right here that we're working with, it goes deeper, Jamie. Or it could, if you if oh we want to dive down this rabbit hole. Oh my god, hole. not the dark side of the soda industry. <laughs> uh, th- this, so going spelunking down this rabbit hole here... Uh, there's the conspiracy that not only did they just not go back to old Coke recipe, uh, that this was all a fiasco by big Coca-Cola to remove Coca products from their recipe as an attempt with the Federal Drug Enforcement Agency to combat the global cocaine industry by, you know, by removing their industry as a purchaser of these products but how is cocoa related to cocaine so you know i mean it's a popular fun fact that coca-cola used to have cocaine yes yes well the coca in it isn't the cocaine it is the coca plant that's the flavor that you are tasting the coca flavor is like a coconut there's a apostrophe, it's not yeah, coconut. A, 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 cocoa, a coca 
nut. Correct. Okay, okay. Or the coca fruit or whatever you want to call it. Um, that's like the act, the, the cola is what you're, that's what you're tasting. Okay. And so. It's chocolate flavored? It's Cinnamon? related to chocolate. It's like, it's the same fruit family. Oh. Um, Interesting. Okay. Chocolate has to like be fermented and stuff. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. Okay. Um, so yeah, similar enough. They're different parts of the same plant, basically okay. that give you cocaine versus Coca Cola, flavor wise. Oh, that's where cocaine comes from. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. There you go. I... <laughs> you learned something. And here so that there, Coke had stopped using Coca like. Real mm-hmm. coca, they went over to chemically creating the flavors and okay. whatnot um, to flavor it. And the Peruvian farmers who had previously provided said coca products to Coca-Cola were also involved in the production of cocaine. Okay. And the DEA was trying to limit the cultivation of the plant as a whole, just like if, so as long as cocaine. there's no legit market for the plant, then no one will grow the plant, so no one will get cocaine. It's a good world. This is like a little off topic, but how do you make cocaine from that plant? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know where I thought cocaine came from, but it definitely wasn't a cocoa plant. I mean, I, let's do some Breaking Bad here real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be a bonus episode. Did you put on some watch list? Yeah, right. How to make cocaine. How to make cocaine. <laughs> watch a Discovery Channel. How it's made. <laughs> Today we are... <laughs> no. Today I... we're learning how to make some cocaine. I think it has to do with the leaves, I think. Okay. It's, it's like a chemical... Like similar to like tobacco or something. Yeah, I was about to say, it's that makes sense. a chemical compound in the leaves that you then have to chemically process to... Hmm. I don't know. Uh, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> Might as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Just cover drugs up. are bad. Drugs are bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's like the yes, all this you know war on drugs in the 1980s. Yeah, was yeah. a thing, and the, there's these there's but there's no element that there was any sort of coordination between the federal government and Coca Cola. Yeah, that. I can see how it's become, like, a theory, but I really think it's more to do with the, like, changing from the sugar to high fructose corn syrup or, you know, just trying to boost sales. Right. I really don't think Coca-Cola was working with the DEA to reduce uh, the prevalence of cocaine. That seems a little far-fetched to me. Hey. But maybe I'm just not... You just don't know the truth, I, I know. Maybe I've just been brainwashed by the government. <laughs> and, you know. You've been drinking too much Coke. <laughs> yeah. It's melted. All the cocaine in the Coke has melted my brain, obviously. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that that's the story of New Coke. Hmm. Um, the other Coca-Cola promotion we'll talk about is uh, the one that we actually inspired this episode. Oh, okay. It was the Coke... Magican. Okay. I have not heard of this. No, it's not magician. It's Magican. Magican. Um, so basically what happened was in the summer of 1990, so they had this new Coke fiasco. 
things have gone somewhat back to normal. Um, they decide to try out a new multi-million dollar ad campaign. Okay. That they called the Magic Summer 90. And the main aspect of this promotion was that by drinking cans of Coke, you could win money or win like concert tickets mm -hmm. and other sorts of coupons and prizes. Sounds like a very common promotion. Uh, for yeah, they kind of do right? stuff like that all the time now. Well, back in the day, you know, it was, you know, sort of new. And the method of delivery for these prizes was also new and pretty novel. So that it was the magic can. Okay. The magic can was a specially modified Coke can that when opened, instead of having soda there, it would have a little spring-loaded mechanism. And once opened, it would pop up. Oh, like the little snakes in a can kind of thing? Similar, yeah. Okay. And in that little thing that would pop up out of where you drink, there would be cash or coupons that you could redeem for the concert tickets and other prizes. The cash was anywhere from $1 to $500. Holy moly! Can you imagine just going for a can of Coke and instead of the Coke, there's $500? Yeah, I know, right? Oh my god. It'd make you buy a lot of Coke. Why don't they do it like that now? Now you gotta enter like stupid codes into the computer and see if you're a winner or freaking whatever. Well, uh, you know, it, uh, we'll get there. <laughs> okay. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Like yes, that. yes. Uh, so yeah, these, these magic cans, they were randomly dispersed throughout the country and they were weighted so you could not mm. tell from the can on the outside or by feeling it whether or not you had a can of coke or a magic can okay smart um you know because you, you don't want people like wriggling through just yeah. buying out those individual ones you're trying to just get them to buy coke so you just whatever right so the plan was to sell these magic cans for like the entire summer and math wise they're going to work it out to where less than one percent of the 200 million cans in circulation at any given time back then. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's much more than that now, but to any oh, yeah. less than 1% of the 200 million cans in the country at any given time would be magic cans. Okay. And they began by setting aside about $4 million Ooh. in cash and prizes. That's a lot. And on May 7th, they rolled them out, and you would be able to buy them. There, were, the initial release was of a hundred and twenty thousand cans. Okay, throughout the entire country. So you got to be pretty lucky to find yeah, it. Yeah, I was about to say, not great odds. Well, people went out the stores, tried to get lucky, and after a few days and a couple weeks, people began noticing that there were some flaws. In the mechanism, uh, they would open the cans and the mechanism wouldn't like shoot up. And so their money would just be stuck inside the can. Hmm. Or uh, the other major thing was that uh, how they weighted it was by filling it with liquid. <gasps> it, it was basically a highly chlorinated water that smelled oh, bad to keep people from drinking it and okay. that kind of thing. Um, 
but and, and it was like separated off from you know had a wall inside the can and uh well in some of the cans that wall wasn't structurally sound and so the fluid would leak out and you'd get wet money or if you had a coupon it would ruin the coupon mm-hmm. you know so people were complaining about that um but uh it it got a little worse because um even though that the liquid was designed to make people not drink it oh god some people, people are stupid and did drink it i and mean people were eating tide pods a couple of years true, ago so. true um but the media really latched on to the story of an 11 year uh, an 11 year old boy in massachusetts who got really sick uh. from drinking the liquid supposedly and uh and that morphed into an urban legend that a kid died from drinking it. But he didn't actually He didn't die. die. Okay, okay. And uh, he probably didn't even get sick from the liquid because they tested it and stuff. And you mm-hmm. get, it was basically just pool water. That's what I was about to say. If it's just chlorinated water, it's probably just like drinking a ton of pool water. I mean, your stomach's going to hurt for a while, and, but you'll be okay. But people don't listen to that. That's not the story that yeah. gets all the news and stuff. All they hear is Coca-Cola so, poison um, a child. Yeah. Which, again, another PR catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, this promotion that was supposed to last all summer lasted three weeks. Mm. And in a total, only 200,000 cans were ever released. Oh, God. A lot of money down the drain for Coca-Cola. And of those that were released, less than 1% of those were faulty in any kind of mm-hmm. way. But again, that's not, that's just the way it happened because the way the cookie crumbles. Um, so yeah, they ended up shifting the promotion for the rest of the summer to what they called Magic Cups. Okay. Which these will also sound familiar. Uh, you go to like a McDonald's or a Burger King, you get the cup and it has a little sticker oh, on the side. Yeah. And you peel and the sticker. Off. Everyone does that now. Right. Everyone. But that's the magic cup, and that's what they use mm. for the rest of the summer and whatnot. A little bit safer. Yeah, a little bit. And so uh, I said this story is what inspired the podcast, this episode, because uh, my dad <gasps> got a can. He got a magic can? Yeah. So he was working um, one day. He went to the Coke machine. Bought a Coke. He had not heard any of like magic cans being oh a my thing. God, so he was just getting a Coke. <laughs> he was just getting a Coke from the vending machine. He opened it up. Blink. This little thing pops out. He won five dollars. Uh huh. And uh, he still has it today. It, he, I mean, I would keep that thing too. Yeah, he, and he still has like the five dollars that came in it. Um, but yeah, he said like he opened it and was like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my soda?" And uh, and then he he was like, "Oh wow, this is cool money." And uh, it has, like, a little instruction card in there, like, explaining the whole promotion. So then he, like, went to his buddies and showed off. I was like, dude, look what I got for the Coke machine. Um, But, yeah, like, he has one of 200,000. I can't believe he got one. And he he just random Coke machine in a period of, like, two months, maybe. Yeah. Because I'm sure, like, after they discontinued, people would still be finding them, I'm sure. Yeah, because they're still out in circulation. Right. 
And so, like, maybe in a two-month period in the summer of 1990, my dad went to a Coke machine and won five bucks. Your dad's a lucky man. I know. I know. Uh, Those are really not good odds. No. And uh, also, he's lucky because you have this crazy phenomena of people who like to collect Coca-Cola memorabilia. Oh. <laughs> And he went online and looked up on, like, eBay what someone would pay oh, I bet it was for ridiculous. a can, And he bought a Coke for, I have no idea how much a Coke cost back in 1990. Oh, probably, right? like, like, 15 cents. <laughs> maybe not that little, but, like, maybe, like, a dog, right, <laughs> from a vending machine. So, like, he, you know, whatever. Uh, he spent, like, maybe a dollar getting this Coke. And uh, people were literally asking, like, over 800 bucks. For similar cans like his. Dang. And so, yeah, he has a nice little nest egg. <laughs> um, but, yeah. It, it, but, yeah, it's like a cool thing. But you, there's instructions on shampoo bottles. So Yeah, it's... Do you know who Bill Ingvall is? I don't think so. He's a comedian. And... Uh, my parents used to listen to him when I was a kid. He has this one, like, show that he did called Here's Your Sign. Mm. And the whole, th- like, he does this whole segment in about how people are stupid and you have to, like, put warnings on everything because people are stupid and they're going to try it. Like, he said that his wife had a curling iron that had a warning on it that was like, do not stick this in any orifices. Ooh. And he was like, why would you stick a burning hot rod into any hole in your body? Don't knock until you try it. obviously someone <laughs> somewhere had done it because there was a warning label on it. True. And so he said that he thinks that um, stupid people should be forced to wear a sign at all times that says that they're stupid. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and there was like a joke, right? And so that's why his whole thing is called Here's Your Sign. Like, oh, if you do I something see. stupid like that, you get a sign and you have to wear it to let everyone know that you need to be told not to do certain things. I see. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Super off topic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that's the story of the Magican. Dang. Uh but there's a little bit more. So that same summer, of course, Pepsi. Obviously gotta compete. Obviously, right? Uh so they, in the spirit of rivalry, had a very similar promotion called Cool Cans. How creative. And uh <laughs> they were basically cans that had cool designs on them. <laughs> but when you drank them at the bottom of the can on the inside, they would have like a code that you could then call a 1-800 number and tell them the code and it would correspond to a certain cash prize. Mm. Anywhere from twenty five dollars to $20,000. Uh-huh. So a bit more, but uh, you had to call the number to redeem it and whatnot. And so it worked a little better than the Magic Hands. Uh, but it wasn't without its own controversy, I will say. Okay. Uh, some of the parents got mad because they realized that if you took three cans, three cool cans, and stacked them in a certain way, you could spell out the word sex. Oh my god. (laughs) And that's just not okay in our America with these little impressionable kids. Uh... I mean, oh they continued the promotion. It didn't, like, kill it off. But <laughs> we were upset. Um, but, yeah, no, that's uh, the story of Cool Cans. Mm. 
Yes. Uh, Can you imagine? No. <laughs> I cannot. Uh, and so, but our, our last story is one that is common enough in fast facts trivia world, you know, mm-hmm. people hear about it. And uh, this one, we will focus on Pepsi. We'll give them a little bit of a oh shine. Uh, instead focus on of, Pepsi in our Coca-Cola episode? I know. I'm Kelvin! Uh, our sponsors, we're, we're sponsored by both, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, from our many, many sponsors. Yeah, so uh, don't get mad at us. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the time that Pepsi had a military. What? See that? Oh, okay, so you might not have heard of <laughs> Like this. a real one or a fake eh, one? I mean, it's real in the sense that it was used at some point, maybe. I don't know. Let's get into the story. <laughs> This sounds fake. I'm not going to lie. This it's, sounds really fake. It's a weird It's a weird one, but it was true. Hmm. So, uh, 1959, mm-hmm. uh, the USSR, the Soviet Union, and the United States, middle of the Cold War, yep. were trying to figure out ways to keep from blowing each other up. Mm-hmm. And in sort of like these trying to create some sort of bonds between the countries. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev comes over and visits the United States. Nikita Khrushchev being the leader of the Soviet Union at the time. And uh, while he's over in the United States, he has a meeting with then then the Vice President Richard Nixon in what's called the famous Kitchen Debate. Mm hmm Basically, they take Khrushchev to, like, a model home of, like, a model American home in suburbia and show him, like, this is all the amenities that we as Americans have. Weird, but okay. I mean... Yeah, and... Obviously, it worked. The Cold War never turned into, like, an actual war. Right, right. Um, But, yeah, I was just showing off, like, the luxury of post-war American consumerism when compared to communist russia hmm so uh hey i'm not a politician what do i know right right um but we don't care about the politics we care about what was in the kitchen and in one of these products that was exhibited in this kitchen was pepsi cola obviously and they managed to obtain a photo of the of Richard Nixon and Khrushchev drinking Pepsi, <laughs> which is good job advertising. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Pepsi had a field day with that. And so then you get around, time passes, and Coke, I mean, and Pepsi is trying to figure out how to tap into this Soviet market of cola. Well... 1972, so a while later. Yeah, I was about to say, the um, gap of time. You know, things got a little rough there with Mm -hmm. the Cuban Missile Crisis, so... uh, But uh, 1970s, there's a detente. We started being friends again, somewhat. And so, 1972, Pepsi-Cola manages to negotiate a complete monopoly on Coke-Cola products... 
sold in the USSR. You know what? Good for them. But the Soviet Union had restrictions on transporting their currency overseas. Uh Uh-huh. And so PepsiCo had to figure out a way to get paid. Okay. And what they ended up dealing was a barter trade of, we will give you Pepsi if you give us vodka that then we can then sell. Okay. So that's what happened was Pepsi was paid in vodka for decades. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay. I mean, hey, win in Russia, I guess. Right. (laughs) I I, I think the specific band was uh, Stolchina, or I can't speak Russian. I don't know. It's some weird brand. Stolchinaya or whatever. They got vodka okay. for Pepsi syrup that, you know, they could been all bottle over there. But Pepsi had a complete monopoly on the cola sold in the Soviet Union. And everything was fine until 1990. Things beginning open up in the Soviet Union. You know, they begin to renegotiate. Mm-hmm. And they came up with this deal where they're going to exchange some more syrup for vodka and a in addition to the vodka uh they were also going to get a small fleet of decommissioned soviet warships <laughs> uh including 17 submarines a frigate a cruiser and a destroyer why does Pepsi need a destroyer? <laughs> what are they going to do with yeah, it? Don't worry about it. Uh, Let alone 17 submarines? Yeah. So the, their deal was to sell it for scrap metal. Because they're decommissioned. Mm, so right? they say. So they say. Right. So they say. You know, they, they might just roll up on Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and take over Coca-Cola. Take over. <laughs> But, uh, so, so that's where, like, this little trivia of, like, oh, there was a time whenever Pepsi had, like, the sixth largest navy in the world. Oh, my God. Nah. Uh, there's more. They that, had the capability to potentially maybe have one. There, well, there's more. So they negotiated this deal okay. in 1990. Well, 1991, the Soviet Union collapses. So they never get their ships, do they? So the deal kind of falls through. And this deal has to be renegotiated with the former nations that used to make up the Soviet Union, but are now like 17 independent countries. Mm -hmm. So their new trade deal was that they would give a Pepsi. In return, we would receive cheese. Cheese. (laughs) Okay, so first vodka and then warships. And now cheese? The the deal included receiving cheese to supply Pizza Hut locations. (laughs) And they also got uh, a few double-hulled tankers from Ukraine. So not warships anymore. Oh, just just like cargo ships? Yeah, cargo ships, oil tankers, basically, to sell for scrap. Um, But yeah. (laughs) They did not get a navy. What? They got cheese. What a downgrade! Honestly. I know, right? What a downgrade! 
Um, I'd much rather have a navy over a bunch of cheese for my Pizza Huts. So does Pepsi own Pizza Hut then? It's like a parent company, I'm sure, yeah. Because, I mean, I know they do Pepsi products at Pizza Hut. That is so weird. Yum Yum Brands. brands. (laughs) We're we're unraveling this monopoly here. (laughs) Um, Yum Brands Incorporated is KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, The Habit Burger Grill, except in China. What? <laughs> Long John Silver's A and W. Um, huh. PepsiCo fast food division. So yeah. Interesting. Purchased by Nabisco. Yeah, because there's really only like three major companies that own like all the food stuff in the world. Yeah. Don't you love monopolies? Ooh, capitalism. But, yeah, speaking of Pizza Hut in the Soviet Union, there's a really weird Pizza Hut commercial, because Pizza Hut, like, was now available in Russia. So, the president of the Soviet Union, Gorbachev, Mm -hmm. was in a Pizza Hut commercial. Like an American Pizza Hut commercial? In a Soviet Union Pizza Hut commercial. It is very weird. <laughs> Why? I'll have to show it to you after this. It's <laughs> it's so weird because it's basically like all these people arguing mm-hmm. or like, oh, Gorbachev is, you know, he's disrupting the Soviet Union or no, he's bringing us this new democracy and openness and they're, they're arguing politics basically. And then he walks to the restaurant, they're at Pizza Hut, he sits down, they bring him a pizza so and they're like, have all, your big all these arguments... Things. But he brought us Pizza Hut, so he's a good man. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then they start cheering his name, holding pizza. It's so (laughs) weird. (laughs) But, yeah. You think our government would get anything done if it had their meetings in Pizza Hut? Well, I mean, you got the whole conspiracy theory about QAnon. I know, I remember Pizzagate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, no, That's that, what I was okay, okay. referencing. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so so maybe they do have meetings in Pizza Hut, Oh Jamie. my god. I do not believe in QAnon. Y'all are f***ing weird. We just gotta get that out of the way. That, yeah. It's <laughs> strange that we have disclaimer. <laughs> oh my god. Anyways. Um, so yeah. That's uh, the episode. I can't believe we went from uh, Santa Claus to Mm -hmm. Pepsi almost had a naval fleet. Yes. But it worked. And would have had one if the Soviet Union hadn't collapsed. It collapsed on Christmas. (laughs) See, I told you I'd make it work. I told you. You did not believe me. I didn't. I really didn't. (laughs) You know what? Props to you, Colin. I am a mastermind, as Taylor Swift would say. You've got the mind of a mastermind. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's our Christmas episode wow, for this full year. Full circle. Uh, yeah, but uh, hopefully y'all enjoyed. Uh, this is going to be the last episode for a good bit. Uh, life is going to get pretty busy for us in the next few months and 
we won't really be able to produce content on any sort of schedule, regular or otherwise. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to unfortunately have to take a break from releasing. But until we do manage to come back with a new season of your favorite podcast, please go and re-listen to some of your old favorite episodes and tell your friends and family about us and make them listen so that way the <laughs> almighty algorithm does not hate us whenever we do try to come back in a few months. But yeah, if everything goes according to plan, there will be a season two because we got more stories we'd like to share with y'all. So, oh yeah, um, lots of stories. But uh, with that, I'll go ahead and wrap us up. Uh, our music is by Mountaineer. You can find their stuff and more on Upbeat.io. And the opening clip is from the film Dr. Strangelove. And it's just, you know, weird Coca-Cola clip. <laughs> and uh, as always, we want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on occupied land. That rightfully belongs to the Kiowa Comanche Tonkwa, as well as other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S, at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with us. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Bye.